So whatever your health concerns are, whatever your health goals are, NutriSense, the company that I work with, can help you reach your health potential. So whether your short-term goals are to, uh, whether you have short-term goals such as improving your weight, optimizing your body composition, improving energy, reducing brain fog, or you just have a more long-term goal of reducing the chance of lifestyle-related conditions from coming down the line, NutriSense can help with that through the use of our continuous glucose monitoring technology where you can track your glucose, see what foods are working best for your health, which ones are not. And again, through this program, you're also going to have a registered dietitian to help coach you through that. So uh, check out this episode if you're interested in learning more about all about what NutriSense is about. All right. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the NeuroFlex podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. If you guys have found the show enjoyable, uh, go ahead and tell a friend about the NeuroFlex podcast. Um, that's how we are growing um, by word of mouth. So if you think that the information that the guests have been sharing is useful and you've uh, you've implemented them in your own life, go ahead and share with a friend who you think might also benefit. On today's show, we have a very special guest, Jillian Buckley. Jillian completed her dietitian internship from the University of Delaware in 2017. After her internship, she worked for a healthcare system in New Jersey. She worked in a community health program that served fresh and affordable produce to food, uh, feed insecure communities. Her role as a dietitian was to educate on nutrition and cooking. Jillian's philosophy is a client-centered approach. The client is in the driver's seat and she is there to guide. She understands that each person has their own unique psychological and biological needs, and she helps her clients find what foods and lifestyle practices work best for their individual needs. So Jillian, welcome to the show. Hi, Toby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So talk to me a little about just what uh, what was your in initial interest in diet and why did you decide to kind of pursue it as a career? Yeah, it's a great question. So growing up as a kid, I always was interested in health. I think this was due to the fact of I was an athlete most of my life. My dad was a physical therapist. So um, taking care of myself was really important for you know improving my athletics. I also, at a young age, became increasingly interested in cooking and recipe development. So it was very natural for me to go into the dietetics profession. And so I, as you noted, went to the University of Delaware for my undergraduate degree in dietetics. I also did my uh, dietetic internship through the University of Delaware. And for my, as you also noted, my first job outside of school, I worked in a very different environment than I do now. I worked in community health. I worked in a hospital system in the South Jersey area where we went into lower socioeconomic communities and provided discounted produce in an effort to improve food insecurity. And I loved the job because a big part of it was recipe development, which I, as I noted, has always been something that's been important to me. I love cooking. So it was great to be able to inspire people to cook healthy recipes um, and also to be able to be involved in this program that really like helped make healthy food more accessible to some people that it's, it's really not as accessible to. But towards the end of my three years there, I had 
a little bit of a change of heart and what I was interested in focusing on. I wanted to do more one-on-one counseling. And in addition, I became increasingly interested in the concept of metabolic health. I began to kind of put everything together that all of our big health issues of today, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, stroke, all of these are metabolic issues. Uh, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So I knew that this was kind of like the crux of our health problems. And in addition, I wanted to do more one-on-one counseling uh, through towards the end of my three years of my previous job, I discovered NutriSense through actually at the time listening to podcasts. I heard Kara, our VP of health on a podcast, and I immediately knew that I wanted to work at that company because not only would I be getting that one-on-one counseling um, experience that I was looking for, more like in-depth counseling, but in addition, I would be working with other individuals who are also interested in this concept of metabolic health, optimizing metabolic health before these issues, these lifestyle related issues develop down the line and uh, dealing, optimizing our metabolic health is one of the, uh, is uh, the mission of NutriSense. So uh, I started working there in January of 2021 and it's been a it's been an amazing experience and very excited to be a part of such a cool company. So when it comes to metabolic health and and sort of like the obesity problem within this country, along with like type two diabetes, all the other uh, conditions that are related to you know metabolic health or metabolic syndrome, as as it's been described as, like what do you think are the you know top contributors to that that issue with the way we you know, the way we eat or live, you know, within, within this country? Yeah. So that's a great question. So the top, there's a lot of different factors that play a role into why, um, into diabetes, heart disease, stroke, all these conditions. But as noted before, one thing that all these conditions have in common is that they're issues of our metabolism. And I think it's important to maybe break this down so that we can understand like, well, what does metabolism even mean? And metabolism is simply the, you could think of it like the engine of our body. Our metabolic health is how well we process energy. And um, if we have poor diet, do not exercise, are stressed, have poor sleep, all these factors are going to have a negative impact on our metabolism, and it's going to increase the chance of these metabolic issues from occurring down the line. So that's why one aspect, one way that we can optimize our metabolism to reduce the chance of this happening is keeping our glucose spikes more mitigated, more controlled. Um, And the reason being is that with our metabolism, our primary source of fuel for that metabolism is glucose. And if there's any issues with metabolism, we're going to see larger swings. We're going to see a higher absolute value of glucose. So if we could work on mitigating those glucose spikes more, having less swingy glucose, more mitigated spikes, and also just a lower fasting glucose, lower mean glucose, we are going to optimize that metabolism. We're going to be able to process the energy of our body better. And we're going to reduce the chance of these, again, lifestyle conditions from occurring down the line. And that is what, so at NutriSense, what we do is we're a health company that utilizes technology, CGM technology and expertise through registered dietitians to help people um, optimize their metabolic health. 
And so a, a CGM, if your um, listeners aren't aware of, is a continuous glucose monitor. And what it does, it, it does exactly what it stands for. It tracks your glucose continuously for 24-7. And it's essentially a small medical device about the size of three quarters stacked up on each other that gets put on the back of your arm. And uh, through our app, you can see your glucose moving throughout the day. So by mitigating those glucose spikes, you, um, you could, again, reduce your chance of these issues from occurring down the line. And with our program, you also get that registered dietitian support where they'll help you identify what factors are driving up your glucose so that you can make simple changes, again, to make sure that your metabolism is healthy and, uh, and, and optimized. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing a lot, I feel like, about the continuous glucose monitors the past few years, I guess. Um, what are some of the advantages that you see, like, of the continuous glucose monitor versus, you know, say, just, you know, doing, you know, the way, you know, was previously done tracking, testing blood sugar first thing in the morning, like fasting blood sugar, doing like the postprandial, um, you know, like challenge tests. Uh, why, why the continuous glucose monitor? Yes, that's a that's a great question. So I think when people think of glucose, they think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, diabetes and, and going to the doctor and them testing your fasting glucose and A1C. And if your fasting glucose and A1C is over a certain threshold, you are diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes. So what we're looking for at the doctor is a fasting glucose. A fasting glucose over 100 is pre-diabetic and a A1C over 5.6 is also pre-diabetic. So that's that's when the doctor will usually say something like, hey, we need to watch out for your glucose. We need to change some things in your diet to reduce the chance of this progressing. And so this is incredibly important to get these labs done because again, they tell you where you are like on this uh, trajectory towards diabetes, insulin resistance. However, this is just a snapshot in time of what's going on with your glucose. It's not showing us going to the doctor, getting those labs, we're not able to see how our glucose is moving throughout the day. And that's the beauty of the CGM is, is it's not just a snapshot in time. We can see how it, it's, it's like a movie of our glucose. We can see how it's moving. And you may think, well, why is this important? Well, one being is that again, with our metabolism, if there's anything wrong with it, we're going to see larger swings. We're going to see a larger absolute value. So we'll see these larger swings before we actually see a rise in that fasting glucose and a rise in that A1C. So we're better able to detect where we are on that spectrum towards prediabetes. And we're better able to see like what factors are predisposing us to that rising fasting, that rising A1C down the line. So if we're constantly driving up our glucose with our lunch meal that we might not even be aware of, you could see in the continuous glucose monitor, like, wow, this meal is driving up my glucose. I'm going over, you know, 180 every day with this meal. If you keep doing that every day, that's eventually go, that's one factor that can contribute to this higher fasting, this higher A1C down the line. And in addition, with the glucose monitor, you could see um, just how much you're swinging throughout the day. And this is um, glycemic variability, essentially. So how high you're going after your meals. And this glycemic variability is an independent risk factor for these lifestyle-related conditions too. So not only are you able to see what things are going to, you know, making you more insulin resistant by driving up your glucose, but you're able to see how much you're swinging throughout the day. And 
work with the dietitian to come up with ways on how to mitigate that more so that you're going to, uh, again, optimize your metabolic health. Got it. Got it. And yeah, yeah, I'd love to discuss um, in a minute kind of more of the more of the things that maybe more of the foods that tend to spike people's glucose levels. But before getting to that, can you just kind of talk to me about, you know, what glucose, what we know about like glucose spikes and brain health and how that could be related to, you know, various like psychiatric or neurological conditions? Yeah, of course. So we know that glucose dysregulation is highly associated with mental issues such as depression and anxiety. Um, There is a a lot of studies to indicate that people with more insulin resistance and diabetes have a higher likelihood of having depression and anxiety. So again, by making us more metabolically healthy, improving our insulin sensitivity, we're going to have a positive impact on improving our overall mental health. And the reason, one of the reasons why we think this is, is because our brain has insulin receptors in it. And again, insulin is the hormone that tells glucose to move out of the bloodstream into the cell. If we become more insulin resistant, we're not going to be able to get that glucose into our brain cells as efficiently. Um, So if we're not able to do that, we're not going to be able to, there's, you know, receptors in the brain that help us with our emotional regulation. So if we're not able to get that energy into those cells to help with that emotional regulation, we're not going to be feeling as great. So that's why we're seeing, I think that's one of the many reasons why we're seeing these um, people with diabetes, insulin resistance, having higher rates of diabetes. depression and anxiety. It's more than just that, but that's definitely like a huge factor that plays a role. We've even seen studies where we put people, two different groups of people on the same um, isocaloric diets, but one is like um, a higher glycemic diet and the other is a lower glycemic diet. And the group that's on the higher glycemic diet, regardless if they're diabetic, and this group was not diabetic, they had higher rates of depression and anxiety. And you could even see that if you use a CGM, you could even see this in the short term. It's not even just like down the line when you become more insulin resistant, you increase your chance of depression, anxiety, but you could see like just in the day to day, the short term, when you have a large swing and drop in glucose, that drop can trigger feelings of anxiety and stress and cravings. And the reason being is that when we drive up our glucose, our pancreas, again, produces that insulin to carry the glucose out of the bloodstream in our cells. But a lot of times when it goes, when our glucose goes very high, our pancreas overshoots the amount of insulin produced. And this could bring our glucose lower than pre-meal values, which our body isn't like, isn't comfortable being in. They want, it wants to be at a, a more steady state. So that will drive us to not feeling as great, lower energy cravings, Uh, I see that all the time with the members I work with. And again, by keeping those uh, swings more controlled, we're going to reduce that chance of happening. Um, Another thing to think about with glucose and brain health is that the more insulin resistant we become, um, the more resistant to leptin we become. And leptin is our satiety um, hormone. And if we become resistant to that, then our hunger hormones are going to be out of whack. And that's going to, again, continue down this negative cycle building on obesity. So the more that we could become more insulin sensitive, the better we're going to be able at controlling our hunger hormones. 
I can't hear you. Oh, <laughs> um, great. I'll just edit that part out. Um, yeah. I was just going to say, uh, uh, it makes sense in terms of, you know, I, there's studies about, you know, as the size of your, uh, you know, as, as your weight increases, the brain can actually shrink in size, mm-hmm. um, along with like chronically, um, with like all these like elevated glucose levels, um, some researchers have actually started describing like Alzheimer's as type three diabetes. So there's, mm-hmm. there's clearly a strong link there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was another thing I was going to mention is that the strong link between Alzheimer's and diabetes, I think a lot of people aren't really aware of that. But again, it's for that same reason of like, when we become more insulin resistant, we're not as able to get that glucose energy into the brain. And that's going to create issues with our cognition overall, which can lead to serious conditions like Alzheimer's down the line. Right. Right. And it's interesting because a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, there was a, a, I guess, a study that came out and, you know, was kind of popularized or, or talked about through lots of the major media outlets about like the serotonin theory of depression kind of being disproved. And so like kind of what we assumed for decades about like serotonin, you know, serotonin's involvement or this depression as like a chemical imbalance, um, you know, may not necessarily be accurate so it's like it seems like you know looking at other potential culprits like you know potentially glucose spikes inflammation which yeah. i'm guessing there's there's definitely a connection between the two there right in terms of the mm-hmm. glucose glucose spikes and inflammation like what can you tell me about that yeah for sure so um as i know before the the swings in our glucose like how much we're swinging throughout the day is an independent risk factor for all of these metabolic conditions down the line And one of the reason being is that these swings, these large swings in glucose can create, put us in an inflammatory state. And the way to think about this is that when we're, we could think of it like through the mitochondria, when we are overloading our mitochondria with an excessive amount of glucose, our mitochondria is going to produce, um, get damaged and produce free radicals and free radicals aren't necessarily a bad thing inherently. Like we all produce free radicals every day, but when we're producing an excessive amount that could put us in an inflammatory state. So again, if we're swinging our glucose all day long, that could be increasing inflammation, which as you noted is very strongly associated with depression and anxiety. Right. Right. So in terms of like foods that, you know, I, and I, I'm assuming there's a lot of probably variability just in terms of whether that be like genetics or the amount someone's like moving throughout the day, but like, what are common foods that tend to result in like glucose spikes? Like at maybe, you know, that, that you've seen like utilizing the continuous glucose monitor testing, like what is that maybe revealed about certain foods that maybe some people would never think, uh, you know, are, are kind of culprits in that. Yeah. So the main, the, the number one type of food that's going to drive up our glucose is carbohydrates and there's carbohydrates, a very broad category of foods. Like they're a lot, mostly plant foods contain carbohydrates and they're all different types of carbs. It's not that all carbs are the same. So you've got your starches, which are, you know, usually come from like sweet potatoes, beets, things grown underground, right? Then you also have the more simple sugars, which are, you know, glucose and fructose, which are in the fruits of plants. And then you also have 
fiber, which is, you know, the plant uses as the structure of the plant and that type of carbohydrate, we actually can't digest, but it can be an important aspect of our health. We, uh, because it slows down the glucose from being absorbed into our bloodstream, but essentially when we consume these starches and simple sugars, all of them, uh, break down into glucose into the bloodstream. So whether you eat a sweet potato, whether you eat like a candy bar there at the end of the day, all this stuff is going to break down to glu uh, glucose in the bloodstream, but there are different, depending on the source of the carb, it will have a different impact. Generally speaking on how high and how fast your glucose will rise. So generally speaking, the more processed the carb, the higher and quicker your glucose is going to rise. So foods that are high in more refined sugars are going to drive up your glucose more because again, there's the reason being is that there's no uh, fiber in that food to slow down the release of glucose in the bloodstream. So if you're eating a candy, essentially that can't, that sugar in that candy came from like um, a sugar beet and they extract the sugar out of the sugar beet, leave the fiber out. And that sugar is just, there's nothing to slow down the release. So it's going to drive up your glucose high. In addition, foods that are um, from processed grains, such as flour based foods like pasta and bread. Again, those two are going to drive up our glucose higher than ideal because that fiber is stripped out. But foods that are more whole based carbs, like sweet potatoes, um, you know, beets, those sorts of things, generally speaking, are going to not have not drive up glucose as much because again, they've got that fiber in there to slow down the release of glucose. So it makes sense from like a, um, if, if you think about like, what, why, why are these large swings so problematic? And why are we seeing all these health issues that we see today? Well, one of the reasons being is that we, through the industrial revolution, through agriculture, the, these new agricultural practices we have, we've learned to like refine carbs so much and that refinement of them, um, is terrible for our bodies. Like our bodies didn't evolve to eat these types of processed carbs. We were more evolved to eat carbs in their whole form, right? Um, so those those are the foods that are going to drive up our our glucose the most. Okay, got it. So yeah. so foods like you mentioned, like sweet potatoes. Um, what what other kind of carbohydrates would you say um like have you know some fiber within them that might prevent those glucose spikes? Yeah. So sweet potatoes, whole grains, like quinoa, brown rice, um, fruits, any types of fruits, uh, those are all generally speaking, not going to drive up glucose as high, but it's, it's interesting though, that like, so that again, these are like general rules and that's where the glycemic load, the glycemic load or glycemic index concept comes from is that the foods with the, with the most fiber, are going to uh, not drive up our glucose as much as the ones that are like uh, more depleted of fiber. But one of the cool things about having a CGM on is you'll notice that uh, even sometimes, like everyone kind of has a different sensitivity to different types of carbs. Like for example, I thought that I was going to uh, have a better response with a uh, sweet potato, 30 grams of carbs worth of sweet potato over um, 30 grams of carbs worth of brown rice. But it turns out that I actually have a um, much better response to brown rice, the same quantity of carbs as a sweet potato. And I wouldn't have known otherwise. 
Um, so there is like this biological, like we do have a lot of variability between people, like the glycemic index and load is a very good, like general rule of thumb for us to understand what's going to work and what's not. But really the best way to know is to test yourself because even within those more whole carbs, uh, we could still have a lot of variability in how we respond to those foods. And this is a result of, we're not exactly sure why there is this variability, but we think that like genetics and our microbiome differences may be playing, playing a role in this. So again, the best way to really know what you can tolerate the best within these whole carb sources is to test your glucose, maybe get a CGM and see how your glucose responds to these foods. Okay. And, and in terms of like, uh, you know, what, what are some examples, like, do you have some case studies regarding like people who say have, you know, started implementing continuous glucose monitors, maybe also like, you know, started doing, uh, you know, some health coaching with you, um, you know, following kind of a, a different, different dietary principles. And, and can you talk to me maybe about some of the changes that they've seen in their, you know, in their health and maybe particularly if you have any, uh, case studies specifically related to, you know, mental health, uh, or, or kind of neurological conditions that people have been dealing with. Yeah, of course. So as I think I noted this earlier, but there was one study that I, I was coming across that I just recently came across that had two groups of people on the same, uh, isocaloric diets, which means that these two groups of people were consuming the same amount of calories, but one group had a higher glycemic diet through higher refined carbs relative to the other group of people. And the people who were on the diet, the same caloric diet, but higher glycemic load and higher carbs ended up having um, more symptoms of depression and anxiety. And I could definitely, I'll share that with you after this call for your for listeners, if you're interested. And there's also a lot of different studies that indicate how glucose dysregulation, again, is highly correlated with depression and anxiety. And again, with Alzheimer's as well, there's a very strong connection between type two diabetes and Alzheimer's. So the more that we can improve that insulin sensitivity, the more generally speaking, we're just going to have better mood overall. And I see this all the time with the people that I work with, um, just anecdotally, when we mitigate our glucose spikes, we're going to just have more even energy throughout the day. Cause again, that glucose is our primary source of fuel. So if it's more, if, if the swings are nice and controlled, we're going to have a more controlled mood. And uh, we're also going to be reducing cravings, feeling less, just feeling more steady throughout the day. Awesome. Okay. And so I guess besides kind of like what we've talked about so far, when it comes to the dietary coaching work that you do, um, what, what can you tell me about like, you know, healthy fats, protein, um, how do those factor in? And also, I guess, you know, is there a benefit to say eating fats with carbs? Um, does that do anything with glucose levels, protein with carbs? Um, just how do those other kind of macronutrients tie in? Yeah, that's a great question. So definitely targeting a good ratio of protein and fat in the diet is really essential. Um, just on a general, generally speaking, pro, we need to consume protein and fat in order to survive. There's essential fats, essential amino acids that we need to consume to, uh, to be alive. So that's one way of thinking about it. 
as you you asked about how that plays into glucose regulation, having a good portion of protein and fat in our diet is going to be incredibly helpful with keeping our glucose nice and regulated. When we pair carbs, that's one of the things I like to recommend to the people that I work with is that every time that you think about every time that you're eating, you want to have a balanced plate. You want to not, you, you don't really want to be eating carbs in isolation all the time. Again, every once in a while, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, especially if it's a more whole source of carbs, but generally speaking, we want to make sure we're hitting all three macros. We're getting in carbs, protein, and fat. And I think I, another way of thinking about this is like no naked carbs. We want to have clothes on our carbs. So we want to get that protein fat in. And that's because that will help really mitigate our glucose spikes. Actually, another aspect of this that could be really helpful is if we sequence the um, macronutrients a bit, that could also be incredibly helpful. So by eating some protein and fiber and fat before digging into the carbs, we're going to see a much more mitigated glucose spike. Um, and so you could just eat this protein, fat, carb, um, protein and fat about like five to 10 minutes before diving in the carbs. And we're going to see a much better response. But if you don't even want to do that, just incorporating those, all three of those macronutrients together is going to be, is going to be incredibly helpful. Okay. Okay. And how about, you know, in terms of uh, like giving the, giving the pancreas a break from like all this excess carbohydrate consumption and glucose spikes. I've heard a lot about fasting, yeah. um, both kind of intermittent fasting along with like extended multi-day fasting. What are your opinions on, on those? Yeah. So I would say as a general rule of thumb, we find that a 14 hour fast works well for most people. 16 hour can work as well. But beyond that, we don't see a lot of additional benefit in terms of improving insulin sensitivity. Um, and uh, so we usually like to recommend in the 14 to 12 hour, uh, 14 hour range for most people, because that's where we generally see the most benefit in optimizing our glucose, but everyone's different. Like for some people, if they fast for beyond, like if they fast beyond 14 hours, a lot of times through my personal experience, I see that they increase the likelihood of binging down the road and with binging it's, you know, we're then driving up our glucose super high and that could again, uh, contribute to insulin resistance down the line. So we don't want to be doing that. So we want to, we really want to look at each person individually and see what works best for them. But generally speaking, that 14 hour fast works best for most people. And that's, that's something I've personally experienced definitely like the, the binging, like if I do a longer fast and I'm just like pushing it so much to the point where I'm, you know, like just really, really starving and I don't have like a you know, good, healthy meal in place, you know, prepared a big, healthy meal in place, prepared to break the fast. And I like end up eating so much food, like junk food that just like makes me feel worse. And then I'm like, did I just fast for nothing? Like that was yeah. kind of, that was kind of pointless. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even personally, I used to fast 16, 18 hours a day, which isn't even that much, but that much fasting for me drove me to overeat on that first meal that I broke my fast with, which actually contributed to a slight weight gain, nothing crazy, but like five, 10 pounds. And so that could have been actually making things worse for me in terms of my insulin sensitivity. Unfortunately, at the time I didn't have a CGM, so I couldn't, 
I wasn't tracking how well my glucose was being regulated, but it would have been interesting to see now. But for me, I actually work better with like 12 to 14 hours. And I can see through again, using the CGM that that works well for me. I'm insulin sensitive. And um, again, for me, it works for not for reducing that chance of overeating later. And Jillian, I'd, I'd love to kind of hear now about sort of the process with NutriSense and sort of, you know, with working with someone who is using a, a continuous glucose monitor and you're sort of pro providing the support as the dietitian, what, tell me about kind of like your role in helping people sort of interpret or process the data and, uh, you know, make implementations to change their diet. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think that's such a, the dietitian component is such an integral part of the program because for many different reasons, one being is that this information is, can be kind of confusing. It doesn't like, if, if there's all this, we have all this, info, there's all these statistics, dead data points, movement of glucose, it can be overwhelming for someone. So the dietitian comes in and says, hey, this is what your glucose is looking like. And this is this is how it matches up to the metrics that we're looking for. Here are here are a few things that we could um, here are a few foods or meals that I've noticed that are less than ideal. Here are some ideas on how we could fix that to help you reach your goal. So, the dietitian is really kind of like your glucose tour guide in explaining what all this means and ideas on what you could implement to help you reach your goals. So when you're assigned that dietitian, they will be reaching out on a weekly basis with these um, assessments of your data with ideas on uh, things to implement to get you to where you uh, need to be. And um, you could communicate with them as little or as much as you want. The dietitian will always answer you within 24 hours. So in addition to them interpreting your data, they'll be there to help ask, answer any questions that you have, which is, I think really, again, what differentiates from us, uh, from other programs who do the same continuous glucose monitoring program is that the dietitian will make sense of all this for you. And I think another important aspect of the dietitian is that they help you see the big picture of this all. So sure, mitigating our glucose, controlling our glucose is one way that we could optimize our metabolism reduce the chance of these lifestyle related conditions from happening down the line, but it's not the end all be all it's one aspect of that. So the dietitian's helpful for looking at the big picture, right? Like the goal isn't to just make glucose as flat line as possible. Like there's a little bit more like flexibility than maybe one would think. And if you didn't have the dietitian, you might not know that. And another thing to know, I think that's important about the dietitian is that we aren't just experts in glucose. Like we are we are knowledgeable in many aspects of nutrition. All the dietitians at NutriSense come from like a wide variety of fields. We've had people who are from uh, eating disorders, athletics, diabetes, uh, weight management, you name it. We have a dietitian from that specific field and we really share that knowledge with each other. And it really helps us become more optimal as health coaches, health coaches really well-rounded. So not only are you getting a dietitian who's going to help you understand your data, um, help implement goals with you, but also you're getting someone who just knows a lot about health in general. So you could ask like any, any health related questions and we will be able to support you with that. Okay. Well, a couple, couple more health related questions for you here with, yeah. um, with exercise. Can, can you tell me about like, I, I guess, what you said there about, you know, not always wanting glucose to be like completely flatlined, like 
is it, would you want say like a glucose spike, say like right before, you know, a big workout, you know, they talk about like, you know, the, the concept of like carbo loading right before, you know, running a marathon or some, yeah. some big bike race or whatever. Um, is that, uh, you know, something that's good to do, um, or just can you also just sort of talk about, uh, you know, how say like days that someone exercise, how that impacts their glucose levels, how that should maybe impact how they choose to, you know, eat that day? Yes. Yeah, so exercise is one of the most important things that we can do to optimize our insulin sensitivity. Uh, every time that we move, we're using our muscles and that those muscles are soaking up that glucose. So it's not staying in the bloodstream. So we see a lot of times, you know, we'll do an exercise, whether that be strength training, cardio, anything that's really kind of like working our body. If we eat a carb, high carb meal after, we're going to have a much better glycemic response. We're not going to go as high if uh, relative to if we didn't have that exercise before. So having an exercise before our high carb meal is going to have a huge impact on improving our insulin sensitivity and overall just having exercise into our routine, you know, getting in 150 minutes of moderate cardio a day, um, a week, getting our 75 minutes of more intense, vigorous exercise a week, strength training, all these things are going to help improve our insulin sensitivity. And in addition, I think just building muscle, the more muscle that we have, the more we can sync up that glucose. So if we continue to work on building muscle, even if we're not losing weight, uh, we're going to be making uh improving how we tolerate glucose better. We're going to be optimizing our metabolic health. Uh, and I think if, once you use a CGM, you'll notice a couple of different things. Like sometimes with an exercise, you'll actually see a spike in glucose. And that's actually not something to be concerned about because when we get a spike in glucose from exercise, it's not going to have the same harmful impact on our body as a large spike from food. And this being is that like, you'll notice too, if you, if you use the CGM that the spike goes up real quick and then down real quick, it's not like this, it's not staying elevated for super long. And when it spikes up, we don't actually need to produce insulin to get that glucose out of the bloodstream into our cells. So it's not predisposing us to insulin resistance down the line. If anything, again, as I noted it before, it just makes everything better with our health. Like the more that we can incorporate exercise, the better. So there's absolute, the more, the better with exercise. And then with your question regarding like carb fueling before an exercise, that it's really variable with each person, whether or not you need to be consuming a lot of carbs before an exercise. Uh, it's really context dependent. We actually find that for some people who, yeah, work out in the fasted state, they may be spiking super high, like, because it's, it's okay if we spike a bit, but over a certain threshold, over 180 all the time, that may be problematic down the line. So actually sometimes eating a little bit of carbs before that meal. And it doesn't require much, like just like, you know, maybe 15, 30 grams of carbs. We may not see as much of a large spiking glucose. And the reason being is that our body has that glucose that we just consumed for fuel. We don't need, our body doesn't need to produce glucose to fuel that exercise. What's your take on like super large, uh, low carb diets, you know, such as like um, the ketogenic diet, you know, and, and just consuming, or basically I've heard the the idea about just like when we run, when our bodies are 
burning ketones for fuel instead of or burning fat for fuel um, with ketones instead of using glucose. It's a more efficient energy source. Uh, mm. Brain prefer, uh, prefers ketones. Do you what what sort of stuff do you see regarding like people that follow a, a ketogenic like really high fat low carb diet um, and how that affects their their glucose levels? Yeah. So if someone implements a ketogenic or low carb diet, of course, immediately we're going to see very flat line glucose because our glucose isn't moving um, because we're not eating any source of carbs. Right. And so that can be incredibly helpful again, for keeping that glucose more controlled. We're not going to see any swings at all because we're on a low carb diet. However, it is important to note so by you know keeping that more regulated, we're not gonna have as many swings, which is gonna be great. That's one way we could optimize our overall metabolic health, right? But again, we wanna look at the big picture. As I noted earlier, keeping glucose as flatline as possible is not everything, right? So if we're consuming a low carb or ketogenic diet, but we're overeating fat and food in general, and we're gaining weight and we're being more sedentary. Sure, glucose is flatline, but that weight gain is going to contribute to insulin resistance as well. And we could start to see actually like, um, we could still be increasing our chance of developing these metabolic issues down the line. So it's not the end all be all, but in terms of regulating our swings, it's gonna be great. And again, yeah, with low carb ketogenic diet, we're going to be increasing ketone production and that increase in ketone production may potentially have beneficial um, effects on the brain in terms of like, um, you know, mental health, um, you know, take having the brain take a break essentially from only getting in glucose all the time for fuel, getting in some ketones too may potentially be beneficial um, so I'm, I'm a supporter of it. We're definitely supportive of a ketogenic low carb diet at NutriSense, but I think just realistically in practice, one thing that I've just noticed in general is that most people don't see, uh, especially just like your everyday person aren't going to stick with low carb ketogenic every day, all day, all the time. Like it's just not like people want a little bit more variety in their diet. So I would say for the most people that I work with, we going all the way low carb isn't like the most realistic to helping people reach their health goals. Like a lot of times, um, more moderate carb and doing other health promoting activities is usually I find to be more beneficial with helping people reach their goals, just because it gives people a little bit more, again, like, um, variety in their diet. Right. 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 Yeah. What about like, are there any, um, like supplements or I know there's like, you know, in terms of like medications, like metformin that people use for, uh, for glucose control or, or type two diabetes management, what, you know, besides just the, the consumption, like the in, in diet, um, with the foods that we're eating, what can you tell me about different supplements or medications and what we know about how those might, you know, affect say, um, say glucose based on based on the continuous glucose monitor uh, research? Yeah, so one supplement that we find to be pretty effective with people in terms of controlling glucose is berberine. And we would, with people who take berberine, it's like 500 milligrams three times a day before your meal. And that has been shown to be effective at keeping those postprandial after meal spikes more mitigated. In addition, we actually found that uh, certain probiotics can be really helpful for improving insulin sensitivity. And this is because if you think about the microbiome in the large intestine, 
the microbiome uh, can have a really big impact on our insulin sensitivity. So if there's a dysregulation of microbes in the gut, this can um, have a negative impact on our glucose control because a more, a more healthy gut, um, when we have a more healthy cut, a more balanced, less dysbiotic gut, our gut's going to produce these certain metabolites that actually can improve insulin sensitivity. So the more dysregulated the gut is, the less of these metabolites are going to be produced. So by consuming certain probiotics, we could actually optimize the overall gut health and improve our insulin sensitivity. So one probiotic that we like to recommend at NutriSense is this uh, product, a brand called Pendulum. And they've done a lot of studies showing how using these supplements has through time reduced people's A1C and fasting glucose. So that's that's another medication that we can use, or sorry, supplement that we could use that could be really beneficial in um, improving our insulin sensitivity. So it, it sounds like kind of like the health of someone's like gut microbiome could actually like play a big role or does play a big role in like their ability to handle you know, mm -hmm. these like glucose spikes. So it, it would that sort of maybe explain the, you know, sort of the observation that some people can just like eat, you know, so much, so much sugar and, you know, carbs, uh, just constantly eating junk food and ice cream and, and not really gain any weight versus someone else who's like constantly dieting, like, you know, yeah. barely eating, you know, their only carbs are coming from vegetables or whatever. And they're, you know, they're still getting, uh, you know, gaining weight or can't, get weight off? Like, does that, it, it sounds like there might be a big relationship there. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be like someone who like, just take me and a carbon copy of me, but then the carbon copy of me has a more dysbiotic gut. They're going to potentially have much more dysregulated glucose. Um, because again, their dysbiotic gut is, um, not producing the necessary metabolites that could help improve insulin sensitivity. So it's, yeah, it's super interesting how it's, it's, it's so complicated. It's so complex, like insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity. It's not just a matter of, um, so many aspects play a role, like how much muscle you have, how, how good your microbiome is, how much exercise that you're doing, all these different things play a role in how well we're going to respond to glucose. Right, right, right. Well, Jillian, we're, we're coming up onto the end of the show, but before we wrap up our discussion, is there anything that we've omitted in terms of just this whole conversation of, of glucose spikes and, um, you know, dieting, uh, anything, anything left? I think just the last thing to know about just NutriSense in general, again, I think NutriSense can be helpful for whatever your health goals are. So again, we, we will help with the short-term and long-term health goals. So, and the reason why we could help with whatever your health goals are is because by again, regulating our glucose more, we're going to improve short-term goals, such as um, keeping our weight more regulated, reducing brain fog, reducing anxiety. In addition, we're going to, by mitigating our glucose spikes, we're going to reduce our chance of these lifestyle related conditions from coming down the line. So you could really, this program is awesome in that you could really get a sense of like what you need to do now to like really optimize your overall health and feel your best. And again, as I've been talking about, I think the dietitian component of NutriSense is incredibly helpful because not only are you gonna have someone really hold your hand and guide you through all this information, but you're gonna have essentially a coach in your pocket that could um, motivate you to um, 
you know, do these, do the interventions that are set so you could reach your health goals. Um, and it's, we've, it's, it's, it can be incredibly helpful. So, uh, whatever your health goals are, I, NutriSense could, could be a great program for you. Perfect. And if people wanted to find out like more about your work or get involved with uh, NutriSense, where would you direct them to? Yeah. So you could uh, find us online. It's NutriSense.io. Also Instagram, NutriSense.io. And through the website, you will see all of our different plan options. And we will get you going from there. After you sign up for a plan, you just need to fill out a quick uh, health questionnaire, just basically just making sure that you're not, anyone can qualify for NutriSense. You don't have to be diabetic or pre-diabetic. We ju- the only people that we don't accept currently are people who are pregnant or who have, um, on, are on insulin for type or insulin diabetic, but we, you can join if you're a diabetic who isn't on insulin. Um, and so we're really, that's, that's the best way to find us and yeah. Perfect. Awesome. Well, um, we'll include links to those in the show notes. And for those of you who enjoyed the episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Um, also, as I was saying at the beginning of the show, please do share with a friend. You can find the audio episode uh, listed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, most of the other major audio streaming platforms, uh, along with the YouTube um, episodes, um, full episodes along with uh, episode clips on the YouTube channel, Neuroflex. Jillian, I wanted to thank you so much for for coming on the show today and just sharing all of your knowledge and expertise with the audience. Thank you, Toby.